as John Lennon uh, once said, when you get rid of uh, a whole section of illusion in your mind, you're left with great precision. You want some sexy? You want to laugh? License to talk. License to Talk is brought to you by Charlie's Boatyard, 1111 Furman Boulevard. Check out the biggest patio in Western New York and the best sunsets, cool drinks, and fine food at Charlie's Boatyard. Mr. Submarines, 1977 South Park Avenue. They've been around for a while. Home of the best ham sub in South Buffalo. Tell them License to Talk sent you. Dog Ears Bookstore, 688 Abbott Road. Check it out. Stop into the cafe and enjoy a welcoming hometown atmosphere. Don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. Support your local bookstore. Vinyl vibes, vinyl stickers, decals, custom designs created by our boy Quails in Buffalo, New York. Vinyl vibes. Check them out on the gram at Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. First in Buffalo, 389 Abbott Road, Buffalo, New York. Get your custom hats, custom apparel, custom embroidery, screen prints at First in Buffalo. Check out Cooper's Bar on AMC. You can get it streaming on demand. It's on YouTube. Check it out with our good friend Lou Mastillo. All right, Marky. Our next oh, I guest. Like that, Marky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mar- well, that, he's Marky. All right, Marky. Our next guest is episode eighty-one. Mark Goldman. He is a writer. He has a book out, "City of My Heart." He also has "City on the Edge." He's a writer, an activist, a preservationist. We're gonna a history buff of Buffalo. We're gonna find Restaurant out a lot. Tour. Restaurant tour. So we're very Buffalo episode. And also, you chose Buffalo, which we sure. always think is an, an anomaly of people yeah. choosing well, it. From yeah. Then, right, especially then, they're leaving. Let, <laughs> let's start there. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you for thank coming. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, let's talk about how you came to Buffalo. 1967, I think I got. Yeah, well, I was living in New York, and uh, I don't know. I wanted to get out, got in New York, and UB just kind of opened up, and... Uh, I'd never been to Buffalo. I'd met one or two friends or people that I knew a little bit, but I never even visited. And uh, and I heard about UB and I came up and it was easy to just basically walk, sign up, go in there. And one thing led to another. I got, had a family here. I raised two kids. Started working, teaching. I was teaching first at UB and then uh, uh, taught a place called Empire State College. I don't know if you know Empire State mm-hmm. College. Taught there. And uh, I was involved teaching at the School of Architecture. We, I was very early on involved with developing uh, learning materials about the city. There was no, I was studying the history of Buffalo. There's no materials on it, you know, no textbooks or, so uh, oh, all the research, everything, all the information is basically talking to people, and newspapers and like that. So I, uh, I wanted to create a way of studying Buffalo history. So and they were open to that. So I taught a course at UB in Buffalo history. Then I, from that, I started giving bus tours of Buffalo in the early '70s, which I wrote about. Uh, people never, what are you talking about? Taking a bus tour of Buffalo? What? What? What's up with that? And I was taking tours that would focus on industry and architecture and ethnic history and and. Uh, so it, yeah. So, so you you got to Buffalo and you just fell in love with it. No, I didn't was... fall in love with it. It was this is where I was living. I, <clears throat> I didn't really fall in love with it. I, uh, I mean, this is where I was, and I thought it was, you know. And I started. I had a little kid, 
You dug deep. Is what. Dug deep. And and I once I had two kids, I became committed. You know what I mean? Before, I didn't, wasn't my hometown. But once I had kids, and I said, well, it's their hometown. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not going to start moving around. I want them to feel a sense of connection. I want them to feel rooted. That's always been my big thing personally for me and for my family is let's feel connected to where we live, you know? Well, it's funny you bring that up because I've heard you speak about the book of Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah. And that and that, that, that and the prophet Jeremiah inspired you a little. And I, and I found that interesting. Talk a little about that because that's connected <clears throat> into you coming here too. It's pretty connected. Yeah. Well, uh, so this Jeremiah story is a great one. This was about 600 B.C., a long time ago. It was before Jimmy Griffin. It was 600 B.C., and the Jewish people, they got the Babylonians came and conquered them, and they picked them up out of Palestine, and they brought them to Babylon, and that's called the Babylonian captivity. And they were in Babylon a couple hundred years, and then they went back. But so the, when you're not living at home when you're so-called in exile you have a couple of choices right one is you can say i hate this place i'm getting i can't wait to get out of here which is what a lot of people from new york come oh, i can't wait to get out of here i can't move here i'm gonna move there a lot of people i knew went to ub this you know a second rate school i want to go to a better place or your other choice is you can commit to it and that's what Jeremiah said. He said, look, you know, this is where you are. Make a commitment to it. And he has this beautiful phrase, you know, marry their daughters, do da da raise a family, plant stuff. And there, and I think the end is, is if you do, you'll find out that there, the well-being of the city will lead to the well-being of you if you kind of build in this place that you find yourself in. So that's, you know, I found myself here. And the more I committed I got, the more involved, involved I got, the more connected, the more people I started to know. And then all of a sudden, this is your home. It's an ecosystem of people. I mean, I can drive around South Buffalo. I'm a Jewish kid from New York. And I, I probably know 25 people on these side streets of South Buffalo. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that lady, what, aren't you, you know, you're Mark Water, you know, Tommy Ryan and his wife, sure. Marge Ryan, I know that. Best athlete in time in history. Best athlete in time. I just saw him at Cass the other day, and yeah. I just, you know, that to me is my greatest, uh, my greatest uh, accomplishment, if you will. The thing I'm most proud of is that I have relationships with people all over the city. Like, I mean, last night, it was at, uh, I, I don't know if you know, guys know about Joey Giambra, an Italian you know, I mean, about five or six years ago, these second-generation Italian-Americans founded this cultural center, took an old library, kind of like this, empty library on Hurdle and Delaware, and they raised money to turn it into a culture, Italian cultural center. It's phenomenal. Programs they're doing. It's not unlike the the Irish center here, but it's better funded, I think. They got better bartenders at that place? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I like the bartenders over there. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that you know, it, it's a. I, I made loads of connections. Is it, where were you from in New York? What borough? Manhattan. Manhattan. Okay. Manhattan. And what would be like your neighborhood there? Not at all. Like you could oh, just go no, down no. the street and. Oh well, no, we all live in apartment buildings, but it was cool. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I you don't know your neighbor. I mean, you know, maybe you knew the guy in the corner, but but uh, I loved growing up in New York. It was great. You know, my uh, I have a whole chapter on it in that book, City of My Heart. It was great. I loved it. Living, you know, in the park and 
but such a different gym. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, so everything has its charm and oh, where you yeah. let your charm. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, I, I left New York as a kid, as a late adolescent. You know, I didn't make adult relationships there. Here I came as, a, you know, I made adult relationships. It's it's all another thing. When you get here, you're talking about the, a bus tour, and I, I found that interesting. Where where you take? Where's the first place you would take somebody if you're taking them a, a tour? Then opposed to today. Well, I mean, I organized it. Uh, uh, you know, you have to use logistics. I mean, I had a bus sure. with 45 people in it, and I had to meet it. So I remember we met up at uh, in a parking lot at Bennett High School because UB, the school I was teaching, School of Architecture, was in that. With the meter building they call it, which is now those apartments at Seminole right next to yeah, Bennett. Yeah. So we, I, I don't know, went down, uh, just followed, uh, you know, neighborhoods, and uh, I went from neighborhood to neighborhood basically, and uh, that was interesting to me, is I, I, just kind of discovered Buffalo neighborhoods. I'd never seen anything like that. These little self-contained pockets where people lived, worked, went to church, they went to school. Everything was so local. And I was not familiar with that growing up at all. And I th thought that was really appealing. And uh, so that's how I got into studying the history of Buffalo. So I want to learn about this, what looks to me like this really appealing way of life, this neighborhood-based community, local community. So that's how I got into Black Rock, studying Black Rock. I, I, and you're, you're big into Black Rock, I've seen. You, yeah, you no, know a lot about the I know, Black I mean, Rock. who the, yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, a lot more than. Tell us, tell us something <clears throat> we don't know about Black Rock. Uh, well, the the way I found out about it was cool, because um, uh, I was in Delaware Park. I've lived most of my life either in Delaware Park now, the last two years at Cass Park. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I was watching a little league game in Delaware, and there was a kid came up to bat, and I was sitting next to this lady, and she's, she said, "Come on, Mikey, show him what a Black Rock kid can do." And I said, "What? Show him what a what kid do?" He said, what's the Buffalo? No, 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 Black Rock, Black Rock. So I said, what you... I was curious about what that that reference. And that kind of led me to want to learn about it. I want to learn about this place that had its own separate identity, that they identified with they, their own name, Black Rock. And they had their own, you know, the first thing she told me, don't you know that we used to be our own separate village? They were independent. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, until 1854, it was a separate village, and then it got absorbed in the city of Buffalo. So they have a very, very strong sense of uh, local pride, and uh, so that I started getting into that, and I studied that. I, that's what I, oddly enough, I wrote a doctoral dissertation on, on Black Rock and that sense of neighborhood, and, and that's what I, I started doing, the kind of stuff that you guys are doing, interviewing people, because there is... How do you do a study on something like BlackRock? There's no books to read. You oh, you got to go talk to people and turned up old photographs and uh, you know old local newspapers and I was fascinated by that. I mean, a lot of that has been eroded as it's here too. You know, I got into I came late to South Buffalo. What year did you come here? Did you discover us? So oh yeah, I'm not even going to tell you. It was, <laughs> it was so long. I didn't. I feel so embarrassed about it, but it wasn't until I'll tell you what it was. Uh, I don't know, like around 2018. Really? <laughs> so we were, we were. You were the last. Oh, well, normally we are. <laughs> so, but it was so cool. I was, I don't know why. I met a friend of mine who lives in Hamburg, 
And we, you know, we meet out halfway for dinner. He said, why don't you meet me at the Blackthorn in Seneca? Because I said, fine, I've never been down there. So I went there. And, I mean, Blackthorn was cool. It was a nice spot. Yeah. And, uh, but there was a poster in the thing. It's a tr- some night of traditional music. And it was written in Gaelic. I said, wow, what's all this about? Irish Center. Was, I never even heard of the damn Irish Center. So I said, I'm going to go. And that was sometime in 2019, maybe. It was before the pandemic hit. So I went. It was a whole new world. I wrote a whole friggin' chapter. Yeah, so I know, yeah. And, you know, and I kind of lived here for six months. I just thought it was amazing. I started hanging out at the bar there. It started to talk to people. People invited. It was really bar stool diplomacy. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And then I'm talking to the woman who, uh, Hannigan, and I'm talking to her daughter who runs the dance company, talking to her son who's got the store, talking to. You know, all of the, uh, oh, you know, I first, I'm sorry, I did, my, I was exposed to South Buffalo through Jim Kane, who I knew, the firefighter, yeah. who, who uh, 11 kids, who lost two, two brothers, Puff Kane and the famous Kane. Yeah. I learned about that years ago, but I never really came back to it. But then, in 2019, 2020, it was just unbelievable, the stuff I was uncovering the people I was meeting, people like Tom McDonald and his mother. I mean, these little stories that, you know, like his mom tells me the story, because I was interested in Red Jacket, and I was trying to, trying to learn about the Seneca connection to South Buffalo. It was big. I mean, all of this was Seneca Indians until a friggin' Irish came and kicked them out, you know. <laughs> so uh, she said, yeah, you know, when we lived on, I forgot, Buffalo or something yeah. like that. yeah. She said that she thinks they dug up some red jacket bones, and but they're all you know. I met Tom Kane, Jim Kane's wife, and then O'Neill, her her sister, and then I met the Redmonds, and I'm oh my god, it was unbelievable. And oh, I backtrack. I did learn study South Buffalo years ago because I was writing about school desegregation. I don't know if this was before your time, but uh, well, yeah, because you have Judge Curtin. Yeah, right, I met right, Judge yeah. Curtin in the late 80s, and that blew my mind meeting him. He was St. Teresa's. Oh, boy. yeah. And uh, I mean, all those, so many of the people who were involved in the school desegregation case were South Buffalo people. Him, uh, I forgot her name, Jean Reville, who was the school superintendent, was from Holy Family. And, and I thought it was so interesting that these people, Irish Americans, who all of them were rooted in Catholic education, they were the ones who were leading the effort to desegregate the public schools. You know, it was very cool. They didn't have to. They could have resisted. and they could have just stayed out of it. Stayed out of it. No. Yeah. So I love that story. Well, these are, you know, these are phenomenal stories we're telling here. I mean, you could sit on Oprah and tell these stories. People would be sitting there with their mouth open. Oh, wait till you listen to the podcast. And also people think that Casanova was like an Indian name. Yeah, it do you actually, know this? We'll oh, it actually is Dutchman. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's See, a survey right. company. So it's, it's Theophilius <laughs> Casanova. Yeah, right. You know, and they called Dutchman. it, it was such like a big, giant, like, plunder that it got called that because it was his deal, it was you his know? deal. Like, well, it's such a giant, pl- and, like, people are like, the Casanova Chiefs because the it's like. Yeah, the, the local hockey team yeah, over here. The Cas Chiefs. And, and, <laughs> and Bud Webster, he used to say, you know what our name should be? The Casanova Flying Dutchman. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was a Dutchman. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the survey company, I mean, you could go look online, and yeah. uh, I've 
I've had barroom arguments about it, and, I've, and, and I, now you can Google shit. And you, know? you said you were into Red Jacket. I, I'm always looking for people who know about Corn Planter. No, anything? Well, I mean, I, you think I'm just going to sit here with this total stranger and tell you everything I know about Corn Planter? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know a little bit about him. He, he, he had his own tract, the Corn Planter tract. Uh, it's, re- it's re- super interesting because there was a split. They, they were all related to these guys, like people in South Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all drunk, too. <laughs> so uh, uh, they were terrible drunks. So oh, like yeah. Um, so there was a split. You know, there there uh, was a very strong Christian element in the, among the Senecas. And, uh, you know, they were... They're, they were being proselytized. The missionaries were coming to the reservation. They were real successful converting them. So, but some of them resisted, like Red Jacket resisted. He divorced his wife when she turned, converted to Christianity. She wanted to talk English, be Christian. You know, he didn't have anything to do with that. And this guy Corn Planter, I don't know much, but he um, wanted to stay with a native religion, and he moved up to a Corn Planter tract, to Zor Valley. Yeah, and they gave him the government gave him this track and then of course in 64 i wrote about that too they took it away for the kanzua dam and they flooded that area and made zor valley out of it wow yeah yeah, yeah. we yeah. talked with daddy Rebin about corn planter and stuff i tried yeah oh, i always try to get a little corn planter but gotta, i don't know about you know, that little corn you gotta start you can't have a meal without a little corn planter <laughs> Danny Redman's wife wrote a novel, right? Yeah, Lisa a Marie. Few, she's yeah. an alumni of the, of the podcast. She's great. Cool. I don't know her. Oh, yeah. We'll have to introduce her. One of these days, we're going to have yeah, a she has, license to talk great. mixer. Yeah. We're going to have all you people in one room. Yeah, why don't we just all get together? Yeah. That'd well, be I, super fun. That's what we'd like to do. We're working on that with Tommy McDonald, the owner here of uh, Dog Ears. Now, South Buffalo, Black Rock. When do you get, when you're uh, researching the history of Buffalo? When do you get into the Olmstead Parks? Because that's one of the biggest things here in Buffalo. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing story that they even had the foresight to bring them up here. You know, and I I don't know too much. There's a guy. His name is Frank Kowski. He's a retired architecture professor. He's got he's a leading scholar in Olmstead in the country. He wrote a book about Olmstead and Delaware Park, uh, Buffalo Parks. So it was local business guys, this one guy named Dorsheimer primarily, who had wanted to bring Olmstead up here. And uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the details of it, but they gave him sort of carte blanche. You know, he said, you know, do whatever you want. He laid out a park system for the whole city, as you know. His last park before this was New York, Center Park, <clears throat> in Prospect Park. But those that wasn't a park system. Those were separate self-contained parks like central park is you know is a rectangle it's that's not it's prospect chicago no in brooklyn oh okay because he did he did the world fair too right yeah later yeah, okay. that comes later yeah okay so uh so when he came to buffalo he said i want to do i i, I want these to be an integrated park system and if you ever seen the drawings, his drawing for it, it's he, he called them the lungs of the city. And it looks like it. I mean, Delaware Park looks like the heart and the lungs. And then they have the blood going out. And so he wanted, for him, it was very, very important that they be tied together. Um, and that's why the we've broken that chain in the last 50 or 60 years, like cutting up the Humboldt, 
you know, mixed use parks, you know. Well, but yeah, but the thing wasn't was for him. What I saw was the they, he wanted them to be joined, and uh, so we're getting back to that kind of. I mean, the Olmsted Conservancy, they've been phenomenal. I mean, I'm sure you can find things that are, are wrong. Oh yeah, but they, they, I mean, what they've done here is unbelievable. I mean, they, they, the city was screwing it up terribly until they came out. And, and that was one of the good things about the city after 9-11. The city, had, they couldn't afford to run their parks. And all of a sudden, has come in and they've done a good job. And like you said, anything, you could always make improvements. Yeah. Nothing's going to be perfect. Right. But they need guys like you, and that's where this ties in, Delaware Park. I found in my research here, you had a lot to do with the speed limit in yeah. Delaware Park. Right. Well, because I was a long-distance runner, believe it or not, at the time, and... uh I was pretty good, <clears throat> and uh, and we had a bunch of us running, and we, we would train in Delaware Park. That was, I'm telling you, that was a long time ago. We're talking about the yeah. late seventies. So the 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 ring road as we know it now, it, it wasn't anything like that. It 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 was a road that really ringed the thing, and you could use it as a shortcut to get on the Skajakwata. You could get, get in. Get on at Colvin, go down, get on a meadow, go down. There's no speed limit. It might even have been two ways. There was no sense of the park as a pedestrian. So that's, I got real involved with that. That was my first engagement in public activities. And that's when I met a lot of people who are still, like a woman like Joan Bozer, who I wrote about. She's a former assemblywoman, 90 years old. She's still phenomenal. She was the one who was most active in getting the Olmsted Parks Conservancy. We had an assembly. You know Sam Hoyt? You met Sam? Yeah, Bill Hoyt was his father, and mm -hmm. he was big in the rebuilding of Buffalo, what, he, 70s, yeah, he 80s? Was, he was a councilman and then yeah. assemblyman. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was key. Parks, and then, of course, in the beginning of the 80s and 90s, historic preservation, protecting our buildings. Not Everything was for, you know, you you know, it's it the wild. It was the wild west here. Yeah, Buffalo. I don't want to say it was a mess, but there was shit falling apart. We needed to fix it or, right, or start so, over. Right. No. It, yeah. It, but it took a while because uh, it's. I mean, we don't think of it today, but in the seventies, eighties, even in the nineties, the the narrative around Buffalo is that the place is falling apart. It's in decline. We're losing population. We're going nowhere. We've lost everything that we had. We, it's we used to be this. We used to be that. We used to be have this. We used to have tuna. We, and, and and that's all shifted now. People are no longer saying what we used to have. Now we're stressing our assets more, which is great. When did you? When do you think that made a turn for the better? What around what time? What year? Because it. it you always heard there was going to be stuff on the water and this and yeah. that. When do you what what what, what got yeah. it turning in the right direction? That's a good think? question. <clears throat> it is because I can't find the answer to it. I mean, I, I you always everything can be linked to a shady land deal, you know, in this town. I th I, f I feel, you know, so like. Uh, you know, like a lot of people own a lot of things downtown, and then when people probably started relinquishing it, and somebody let them build on it and and do something good with it. I think it's a lot of small things. You know, like the his the creation of historic preservation district was big because it gave people a strong sense of identity and commitment to their neighborhoods. The uh, in the '90s, the coming around of downtown theater district, that's something. 
that's and I was real involved with that. The the identif- the, the sense that we have a theater district in downtown, that we have neighborhoods that we care about through preservation, um, that we have a park system that we care about. It's accumulation of things. Um, I I think it's uh, uh, people don't talk about it much, but I think something like the Garden Walk was huge. I mean, you talk to Marge Ryan about the importance of Garden Walk in South Buffalo. You know, you have now. <clears throat> This is the biggest freaking garden walk in the United States. Hundreds of thousands of people are walking around. I mean, they're all these. To me, it looks miserable. It's nothing I want to do less than look at somebody else's garden. But <laughs> people love. But they know to, how to get to know each other, and right? they and they see the houses. Yeah, and it's had a. You talk to real estate people, say the garden walks had a phenomenal impact on uh, on real estate values. Absolutely, yeah. So it's those, I think when you say there's one thing, I don't think it is one thing. And that was the fault, I think, with the thinking. We had the silver bullet mentality. We do this, we're going to get a new convention center, everything's going to be good. We're going to build a Bass Pro on the waterfront, it'll take care of everything. We're going to build a new that, it's going to take care of everything. And that's not how these things work. It's a healing process, it takes a long time. And You're talking about the Preservation Board, what do you think of the, the, the grain elevator that's here? going down? I mean, I don't know what this. It's a shame that we've lost it, but I don't know what you can do with it at this point. No, I mean, I that, that was be, our we've, point. We've been behind it. We actually had a lieutenant colonel from uh, Army Corps Engineers, oh, yeah, and he was like, you know, it's crumbling and it's in our waterway. We should be thinking about our water. You know, like that's a yeah, problem. It's too bad we let it go. That's I mean, we yeah. could have saved that thing. 20 but years I think ago. that's also like how Buffalo is. Like we let people come in and. Wreck and do that, and then now they're getting an emergency demo that right. they don't have to pay for, and people are up in arms about it. Right. They don't want this, and they don't want that. They could have like, stopped. They could have forced them to fix the damn building. Right. Years ago, there's a history of it. Right. Some somebody's, you know, making something. I think and that's I think it. there's a dirty deal going on with that grain elevator. What What do you think about something shady going on? Why do you say that? Well, I, uh, there's too many people just falling in line, like so quick. I, I just think it's. I mean, there may not be. There probably isn't, but it just seems to me. Mm-hmm. That it's some fishy about it. That they let these guys get away so long with it. They never send an. Ins- I mean, I can't dig a hole in my backyard without some guy from South Buffalo coming give me. A <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, yeah. I want to put up a deck in the back. Oh no, you know this guy said. I and know a guy. They, <laughs> and and they and they can't, you know, issue a summons down there. I don't think it's that at all. It, it does make you wonder. It's weird. I mean, you try to do something around here illegally, and you're going to find out this guy's going to be driving around. Hey, you're putting on a screen porch there. And... It's changing, though. Yeah. We're losing our guys. Our guys are getting old, retiring. <laughs> now, you talk about the theater district, and you had uh, the, uh, what is it, the Irish? Irish theater we had. Yeah, theater. talk talk about that, because I've, I couldn't find too much on it. And was well, this before or after your restaurateur? At the same time, I bought okay. this building, this okay. Calumet building in Denver. There was a whole chapter in there that yeah. explains that. And I, I bought a phenomenal building right on the corner of uh, Franklin and uh, and uh, and Chippewa Street. Was, uh, the whole street was falling apart completely. There was a kind of a handwritten for sale sign on it. And I called a guy, and I wrote it. It was a great story. This is a Sicilian guy who wanted to get out, you know, you know, had a clothing store, men's clothing store. It's, you know, like, remember John Shaft, those clothes? Yeah, yeah, clothes yeah. Kind of clothes. Shaft. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I made a deal with a guy. He wanted 200000 I didn't have $200,000. So I gave him uh, 
twenty grand, and he held a mortgage, interest-free mortgage for twenty years. So I was able to buy that building for like eight hundred bucks a month, Whoa. and and I then I whatever money I did, I went spent on fixing it up. We had a jazz room in there. We had a uh, the Irish Classical Theater Company, which is a phenomenal theater company, made up with this family who came from Ireland in the late '80s. They were there five years. We had a Latin disco in there called La Luna. I remember La Luna. So it was all our, you know, I was just trying to pay the bills down there. You know, just get a Puerto Rican disco. Let's get some Irish actors. <laughs> yeah. Let's get some. Yeah. Let's get you can't going. make very a good stew without getting no, a, right. a, a ton But it of was hard. We, it was very difficult. And I'm not just saying sour grapes. It was very difficult to get uh, the um, uh, city government to do care at all about it because no, I, I wasn't a big guy i didn't know you know and then beer guys like croce and seminelli and all these guys came in but i had nothing to offer you know and nothing's well, changed over the years jim couldn't get a patio across from a recycling dump from a recycling dump there were rats playing poker on the curb across the street and they wouldn't give you a patio. and while well, the neighbors thought that they lived on mckinley parkway the Hop In, 317 Hopkins, rockin' delicious. Uh, a couple of ours, yeah. And Marky did uh, uh, Vinyl Night in there. And you see that's all over the place now. Oh, yeah, Vinyl He was an originator. It was, we what, had, seven years? Seven yeah, years, yeah. good run. Wow. Different kind yeah. of wing sauces that people still talk about today. Who, uh, who was your customers, local kids? Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we say that you can't do it again because it was a time and a place thing. We were just in the right kind of age group and... Yeah, it no was, one had kids yet. Yeah. Just newly married, maybe not even. Yeah, and you you had a lot of restaurants. Do you see that gimmicks helped pay the rent? No, no. <laughs> see, we sometimes during that time we didn't have playoff football, well, yeah. playoff hockey, oh, right, right. So total we, drought, total no drought. playoffs. Period. No, I guess I guess we had to get creative. So they would have ladies' night, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Two for one ladies' night. Well, those I don't were know, the days. All those gimmicks. Like, yeah. I, I remember because Charlie, my son, he, uh, he, he, you know, we still have a place on Allen Street, Allen Street Harbor Cafe. Yeah, it's his, he runs it. So him and his friends, like this guy Pat Gallo, they all grew up together. He would every Tuesday night. It was ladies' night at Coles. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a huge deal. All, all these underage kids going for ladies. <laughs> it was a time and place. You could do yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure it's true down here. All these yeah. Jock Sullivan, all those places, right? So there's a bunch of good eat, places to eat and drink down here now, aren't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything's yeah. everything's And it, it's, it's going good. I mean, it's coming out of the pandemic okay. You know yeah. what, though? We don't like to really say that everything's great because we want to keep them on their game. You know, sure. They're all right. Everything's sure. all right. What about I worry about that Irish center? I don't know how that's going to stay in flow. Yeah, yeah, because you know the, the woman passed away. I, we don't really know much about the Irish center. It's a great, great place, but it, it lives on public money. I'm, I'm yeah, how can I do that? What's his name? Scanlon, the kid. Yeah, he does a great job. He's been on the podcast before. Too. He's good. good yeah, man. he's good. I think you're going to see a future in city government with him. He, they're talking about him running for mayor. Yeah, could then you got be. Kennedy wanting to run for mayor too, right? Maybe. <laughs> you know, nah. <laughs> see, I, I think that scale between the two of me seems more real to me than Tim that's Kennedy. what I say. Yeah, Tim Kennedy seems like a big bullshit artist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you you worked in the restaurant business. It, it, it taught you something, right? Yeah, like it, you can tell people who were. Yeah, I don't. Right, you can tell. 
You know, like right. we we always talk about, you know, the guy who can who plays hockey but throws a ball like you you played baseball before, yeah, like right. you've done some other things. You right. might have been humbled. Right. Yeah, restaurant industry really humbles you. And, and yeah, Scanlon seems like a humble guy. He very. I grew up with him, played hockey with him. He's a ham and egger just like us. You know, I I see good things for him. Ham and egger, I never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> he told me this. Well, you only found out about South Buffalo in 2018. So. I know. <laughs> I learned all about the Carlisle Cougars, Tommy McDonald. Oh yeah. I had great the Densmore Dugs. You know, with the woman who. Uh, she just retired. She was the president of Mercy Academy. What's her name? I forgot her name. But I met so many people, priests. And you've met people all around. And one thing that uh, I found interesting was um, in your book, and I did read this chapter, was Bass Pro. Yeah. And go ask Grandma Rosie. <laughs> so now tell the tell the listeners about the your way of thinking with this, because I, I, I love it. Well, in my way of thinking was, uh, like I just said in response to you, what is the one thing that turns it around? So my thinking there is never is a one thing. That there's an accumulation of things. Uh, it builds momentum. And the Bass Pro is let's get one, this one thing. It's going to be the silver bullet that's going to turn around the waterfront. And I thought it was appalling. It's public land, mm-hmm. historic waterfront, a private company that's going to get basically built out. But everything about it was disgusting to me. And I said, we can't this can't let this happen. So, and I don't know where I came up. Oh, I remember. I was talking, you know, Larry Quinn. The... We're going to get to him, yeah. So Larry was a big Bass Pro guy because his, his good buddies are Johnny Morris, who owns Bass Pro, and he's in with all those. Mm-hmm. Pezzo Novante, not the ham and egg guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was sitting somewhere with him. We were talking. I said, Larry, let me ask you a question. What would your grandmother think of this Bass Pro thing? He looked at me and said, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> but so, I don't know, I just thought of that. Because in our family, like everybody, you know, the, your grandmother's sort of the source of wisdom. Yes. And, and uh, so I came up with this little mantra, what would grandma, well, let's ask Rosie what she would do before we do anything stupid like the Bass Pro. And then, uh, so they decided not to do the Bass Pro. Bass Pro was Drew. Higgins came out against it at the end, and uh, and so the question is, okay, now what do we do? We got all this pot of money from the power. Higgins negotiated this deal with the power project in 2005 that we were going to get millions and millions of dollars for 50 years, and you know about the licensing agreement that in, he gave the NIPA 50-year license to develop electrical power there, but in turn, they had to give us a real big chunk of money every year to do our waterfront with. Mm-hmm. So the, that money was supposed to be for Bass Pro. The land was supposed to be for Bass Pro. They created a state agency called the Erie Canal Harbor Development Corporate. That was, so what do we do now? So I, you know, and a bunch of us, I felt we got rid of this damn Bass Pro. It's our responsibility to come up with a plan B here. So, you know, we did. And we came up with a whole set of, starting in 2010, 11, 12, right in there, a whole series of the ideas. Don't think about building. Think about programs. So don't if the building comes last, get people to come down to a thing. Get activities going. Create activities that are going to draw people. Then you get people there, people there, people there. Then that leads to a building or 
But don't put the building there. That it's that holy. If they build it, they will come, which is nonsense. They got to got to come first, and then you build it. So it, it uh, that really, I believe, shifted the thinking down there. So today, their emphasis is on much smaller scale stuff, um, and a lot of it is heritage based. You know, I've been working uh, for a couple of years. It's 2025 is the bicentennial of the Erie Canal. It could be a great opportunity for this district, how we handle it. I agree. How we do what we do. And so, you know, a bunch of us are working on that. What do you think? What are you thinking so far? What do you want to do? I don't know. I don't want to have a parade or something like that. Right. I'd like to do things that are going to be remain part of the so-called landscape, if you will. Not necessarily the physical landscape. But that that's a, that that lasts. So I had one idea that uh, that uh, that the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra would commission an original piece of music about you know that would celebrate in some way or deal with the Erie Canal. I mean that would be kind of cool, and that would be a, I mean if you that would be a national story. People would be interested in that. So I went and talked to them a couple of weeks ago. So you know, there's they probably will do that. So I, I, I like to use the arts and culture as a way of commemorating this kind of thing, not have one-off yeah. stuff, you know. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, so but cutting I, I, a ribbon ain't gonna no kind yeah. of right no I, right. So well, there is a great project that's going on. Is the do you, you familiar with the Buffalo Maritime Center? There, no, know, we we need to be. Tell us about it. Yeah, the heat come down. And talk to you too. <clears throat> Do you know the long shed on Canal Side? The yeah, yeah. Shed? You know what's going on in the long shed? No. Okay, the, they are building in the long shed a, a, a not-for-profit group. Volunteers are building the a replica of the first canal boat that went from Buffalo to New York in 1825. It's phenomenal. It's this gigantic thing. Wow. And, and they're doing it all with volunteers. It's so open to the community. You can go open down there floats. and open floats. <laughs> <laughs> good, I don't think they ever thought of it. Okay, so that that's a huge project that they convinced this not-for-profit called Buffalo Maritime Center convinced the Empire State Development Corp. That's the state economic development agency to spend I don't know maybe two million bucks doing this and it's going to be a tremendous project it's going to float down it'll be an opportunity like a floating stage you can do present things on it so that's going on and you play the song on it you play you're the mule named Sal <laughs> you know what I'm saying oh right yeah you play the Philharmonic sound on it, so, song right. on it. so I, I met with Joanne Folletti you know she's the conductor I know the guy who runs the orchestra I don't know her but so I said, look, just think, Joanne. I mean, you can have those 110 musicians up there playing. I got a mule, and her name is Sal. You know? <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> so. But it, you talk Bass Pro, and, and I heard this quote from you, and I thought it was really funny. There was a lot of pinatas when it came to Bass Pro, but right. Larry Quinn was number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was a sitting duck for this, you know. I mean, he just represented all the bad players in one, you know. Mm-hmm. Insider guy, self-interest. It was his connection to the Bass Pro people and to Rich Products that put this whole deal together. You know, I mean, his connection to Rich is probably good. I mean, it's his connection to Rich that got that, what do you call it, that studio being built up on Niagara. And, oh, okay. And, and a lot of things he's involved with, a lot of people don't know. They they look at the bad things, like a lot of people don't like the 
the way the arena was built. Right, right. Or Bass they Pro. Always, right. And then they look at his time on the school, school, school board. Right. But and there's it, other stuff. There's there's a lot of stuff that he he's good. I yeah, I see him at uh, Cooney's a lot. Uh-huh. I go on Lexington. I see yeah. him there. That's his joint. Yeah. No, he's a very smart guy for mm-hmm. sure. And he's a good guy. He's very arrogant though. Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of people suggest him to come on the program. I don't know how we would do with him. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, he's fine. You just let you know. You let Larry Quinn be Larry Quinn. You know, right. he's not going to be, yeah, Yogi Bear or somebody. You know, <laughs> just be, right. Well, we had the uh, our buddy Kobe from the Army Corps of Engineers, and he talked about this big meeting that's going to come to the Great Lakes. Oh yeah, phenomenal. And our water. That's that's why that story in the paper the other day is a little bit concerning you know that uh, we got to watch out it's not bad yeah but yeah it's good we, for need, we need to really take care of we need to take care of that water yeah i mean yeah. that that's what's making us now that, that's what the, the this conference is going to be uh algae blooms because we saw it big this year you did yeah, yeah. oh man it was those sh- there's shit all in the water. It? It, we were just right up at uh sunset that's bad right oh terrible yeah. oh. it's it's coming from the soil so it's what grows our food and then oh, it, it's getting what into is the it water. from? Agricultural yeah. poison stuff. Yeah, right? it's like phosphorus is growing Bummer. in the lake. Maybe, maybe it was the we asked what turned it around. Maybe it was the NFTA getting rid of their land, and so we could do something with it. Oh, maybe down it, on the waterfront. Yeah, maybe that got Buffalo oh, going yeah, a little bit. That outer harbor has been big. Yeah. I think they need to do more work there. Um, But like, is it? it, We talked about the Niagara Falls and how like the American side has like this like national park feel. Like, would that ever be something? An idea? Like, make it some sort of park where the Canadian side? No, no, the the American side. That we should. That we should. You know, pose that idea. Oh, oh, yeah, the national park. And just be a national park. Is that something that we could do on our waterfront here? Yeah, actually, there's people talked about having a national park service take it over. But you know they don't want to do that because uh, then you lose the they, land. They want to, you know, their the state is has in the back of their mind that this is going to be development down there, which I don't know. Maybe don't, cabins would be all right. You know, little cabins. Yeah, maybe that's not a, a that's big not a bad idea. Right. That you're gonna, uh, you know, like a lot of people are ticked about that. Uh, the uh, what do you call it? eight thousand seat outdoor seating area that they're going to build down there. Yeah, I heard it's gonna I build a, bring a lot of cars into the. I I think they need to relook at how they do but, concerts down there yeah, and totally. the venue that they're gonna put there. I almost want to see like uh, there's a place in Colorado. I mean, we couldn't do it. It's built into a mountain, Red Rocks. Oh, I've heard of that. It's beautiful. I, I mean, it's beautiful. I don't know how we could do it, but maybe a smaller scale of that. That's yeah. amazing. Incorporated in the water. Listen, I, I work on the water every day. If We're you at, put, the, at the restaurant. Yeah, at the Charlie's Boatyard. If you put a, a stage, it is only a matter of time before it goes bye-bye with the winds and the waves down there. I think they really they can't make a cookie cutter. They have to really spend time and do their research on it. You can't just throw a plan. The, the, can't put a stage down there. Yeah. yeah, but also we talk about too. Like it, it doesn't matter where our stadium is, as long as somebody doubles down and gets us there. You know, like yeah. If we can't take our transit to the stadium, then I'm I'm actually pissed about that. You know, like I want to be get, be able to get in and out, like and not yeah. have to drive my car down there. Same thing. Yeah, if you're gonna so put hard. that amphitheater there, if you were to ever look what a bus route would take you right now, it would take you 
almost an hour and ten minutes to take the bus that would get you down to the waterfront, you know? So it's only accessible by car now, right, pretty much? I mean, you could get there, but it's not going to be like, hey. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And and I and I and that's how it is with the stadium now. We can only get so far on special events. They should be taking you to the front door, you know? You know what? Uh, one of the criticisms of uh, – you know, Robert Moses built the parkways, the park system of Long Island in the 1930s, 1940s. Jones Beach, all those great parks. And and he's only highway access. And they said that he purposely didn't put transportation because he didn't want people who couldn't afford to drive out there to go. I don't think that's the same year, but... I'm sure it was thought about back yeah, in the day. Yeah. I really do. Wow, that never... Yeah, that he didn't want people that couldn't get there to no, not he be there. No, you know, like they made, he made yeah. the he made the overpasses on the Long Island Expressway too low for the buses to go under. Yeah, that, that's oh, that's wow. all coming out now. Yeah. yeah, they they think that you did a lot of research in Buffalo. What did you come up with with the Buffalo Transit system? Like you get off, you get off Main down. Street, where you were here for that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you were involved in it. Talk a little about that, because what a kind of a mess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We kind of, uh, public transportation systems in most cities are, you know, a struggle. You know, none of them are self-supporting, none. Right. Even New York City, that is like 5 million riders every day. So the the idea of public transportation being self-sustaining is kind of a romance. Um, it's a challenge here because it's, I think so many people have access to cars. I don't know what the data is, but uh, I don't know. We had an amazing, every city did, before, you know, up until the end of World War II. Because up until then, you had not many cars. You had 650,000 people living in the city. And how they get around on train and, and buses and trolleys, so the bus lines would go through all the side street, Hoyt Avenue, Norma, ba 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 ba, and then people started to move out. All of a sudden, you don't need those uh, kind of surrounding routes. They become centralized. More and more people move out. Less and less people lose use public transportation, and then you find yourself in a situation where we were in the 1980s with a failing failing public transportation system. Why is it failing? Because our population fell in half. Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to do? Population fell in half. Number of people owning automobiles, I don't know, doubled or tripled. And it's hard to get people to go back on buses. It's so easy. If you can afford a car here, it's easy to drive in Buffalo. Sure. Right? It's not like New York. No. I mean, you don't, in city of Buffalo, you don't have, you have very few middle class people riding public transportation. If you ride a subway in New York City, it's millionaires and ham and eggers and all kinds of <laughs> Right? Not here. No. no. I'd love to see it. I mean, maybe when they go green, they're saying there are all these electric buses are coming and maybe yeah. they're going to push it more. I don't know. I think it's a failed thing. I, I, it's such a pain in the rear to ride a bus or a train. It really is. Especially now with uh, ride sharing. Why would anybody take a train? Yeah. You know, you could go to a Bison's game from where I live for an Uber for five bucks. Yeah. Or seven. It's, all, it's 11 bucks from here. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, why? So, I, I don't think, I mean, I, that, that's what's great about 
ride-sharing, is that it creates alternatives, less expensive ones than public transportation. I, I, I can't believe in the beginning the city was doubting ride-sharing, and they were. We were? Yeah, and I'm a big ride-share guy. I only have a license to talk. I don't have a <laughs> driver's license. So You don't drive? No. I don't know how. <laughs> Is that true? You never. Oh, you got your DWI. No, no, no. Hey, hey, he hey, just this, really doesn't know how. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. This. Is, yeah. And no you DWIs. Had, you know how to drive a fire truck. Yeah. Too. Right. But anyway, yeah. When did you uh, start writing? Oh, I don't know. I always like to write. You know, if I have something to say, I think I want to write it. Some people, I have something to say. I mean, I love to talk too. But if I have an idea that I'm working on, I think I want to write it. Well. Before we go, Mark Goldman or Gold. yeah, Mark Goldman, Marky. City on the Edge, Mark Goldman, City of My City Heart, City of My Heart, and there's one the children's book, which is a great story that I want you to tell before you leave. Oh, Max meets the mayor. Max meets the mayor. Yes, that's a cool story. So I don't know. I was driving around with Max. You know, you know, hang out a lot. And when he was little, he was four or five, we're driving around and and. We're, Look, he looks up that big building. He says, "What's that?" I said, "Oh, that's where the mayor lives, where the mayor works." And I said, "You want to meet the mayor?" He said, "Sure." What does he know? He's four. Sure, I'll meet the mayor. <laughs> you know, maybe there's an ice cream cone in there or something. So I thought this would be fun. And uh, so when I got home, I wrote a note to the mayor, and and I said, "I want to bring Max down to me." He said, "That's fine." And then I told a friend of mine who's a writer, I said, so she said, Max meets the mayor. That's a children's book. That's perfect. So I said, wow, it is. I got a friend of mine who's a beautiful illustrator. She, the three of us went down. We spent a day with Byron Brown in his office, and he was great with Max, playing with him, and we were doing, and I had to make up a story because he couldn't, so I made up a silly little story. That was fun doing that. And the, the really funny part is that my grandson, Max, he hated it. <laughs> he didn't like doing it because he, you know, I, you go around, you go on these little book tours. And so I'd say, come on, let's go. They want us to go to Barnes and Nobles. And he hated that. He said, I don't want it. He's a shy kid, you know. So he's got a little brother. I thought maybe the little brother would be jealous. I want a book about me, too. Yeah. So the little kid, Eli, said to me, I don't ever want you to write a book about me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought it last night, so I'll be reading it to oh, my kid. Yeah. How old is your kid? He'll be three. Perfect. Yeah. I, oh, that's that's what it says, yeah. And uh, the, the other thing that I got, Mark, you sit on a lot of uh, boards. You, you said yeah. earlier, maybe you don't like to, but you're there to help. Yeah. A lot of people in Buffalo, when someone calls them, they go, ah, oh, shit, you know, this guy's going to want this. I've heard the exact opposite from you. When Mark calls, you will know it's going to be good and there's going to be a solution down the road. Cool. What do you think of that? People, That's what people say about you. I love it. It, it means a lot to me. And I think it's true. I don't want it. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to waste my time or anybody else's. I hate just sitting around. A lot of people just kind of get off on being in meetings. You know? Right, right. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I mean, this Make is Make a fun. decision. Yeah. yeah. No, no, right. Well, that's good. I appreciate it, whoever said that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. No, because I do. I want to get it done. You know, absolutely. Like, we had a, and I don't waste that much time. I don't waste time. And I'm not. And I'm not afraid, oh, he's going to think I'm this or she's going to think I'm that. I don't give a shit. I'll call the fucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, finish, finishing a book, I, I think, is, you know, a lot of commitment. And you've seen it through and, like, knowing something's done, you know? Yeah. There's tons of great stories out there. And you guys are a, 
yeah unearthing that yeah and i mean check out his books and you know mark goldman he loves seeing things through and we're glad we've seen you today mark goldman you are now licensed to talk thank you very much wow yeah <laughs> thanks so much that was awesome